how does this relate to our career in 2021? A lot of people would look at this and say, well, that's history. What does that have to do with now? The reality is we need to look at the big picture because the first slave ships arrived in the U.S. in 1619 and then slavery didn't end until 1865 and after that Jim Crow went on for another hundred years so the playing field has really only been open for black people in the U.S. for the last 53 years. I don't know about you but that is my parents generation. My parents were children when that happened. That's only two generations to generate the lives that we've been denied for over 400 years. So that means over that period of time we've been denied the opportunity to build, been denied the opportunity to generate wealth, been denied the opportunity to thrive. Really just been surviving this whole time because that's what was required. That was what was available, survival. And now we're in a place where we can define our lives, our careers, our the way that that we live for ourselves. Hello and welcome to Corporate for the Culture. We're a podcast where we speak about the black corporate experience and share tactics and tools to help black professionals to navigate and thrive in corporate America. Now, this episode's going to be slightly different because on Thursday, President Joe Biden signed the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, which made Juneteenth a federal holiday. Now, this is the first federal holiday since Martin Luther King Jr. Day in 1983. It's been a good 38 years since we've had a new one. So, happy Juneteenth. So, in this episode, we'll be talking about the history of Juneteenth and black labor in the United States and connecting it back to what we do here at Corporate for the Culture, helping black professionals to thrive. So what is Juneteenth? If that's a question you're asking, don't worry, you're not alone. Um, I learned about Juneteenth two years ago and that's really because it's celebrated or commemorated in some parts of the U.S. but not necessarily all over. Now, you might be saying to yourself, you probably don't know about Juneteenth because you're not from this country. And to that, I would say, I am not from this country. And it's important for me to state that at the beginning of this episode, because I will be using the word we and our throughout. And the reason I do this is my heritage is Jamaican. My family is from Jamaica on both sides. I was born in London, and I grew up between the U.S. and the U.K., I've spent half my life in the U.S., half my life in the U.K., and grown up learning about American history, American culture, being very much part of the culture, and experiencing the discrimination that comes with it as a black person in America. So I just want to acknowledge that while I am British and Jamaican, I am also American, and I am also African American, as well as being a British Jamaican person. So now that that's out of the way, let's get into what Juneteenth is. Juneteenth is short for June 19th, and it commemorates the effective end of slavery in the Confederate States of the United States. On this day in 1865, the Union General Gordon Grainder arrived in Galveston, Texas, and informed enslaved people that the Civil War had ended and that they were free. 
This message came two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. So imagine for a moment what it might have been like to be one of those people that heard that they were free that day. That heard that they had been freed two and a half years ago. What emotions would that stir up for you? What would that mean to you? I'm sure it was significant. For many, Juneteenth is the day of celebration and of freedom, recognizing that freedom for African Americans. However, for others, it's a solemn day, a reminder that African Americans should have been free 400 years before. It's a reminder of what was taken, their lives, their history, their futures, connection to home, sense of who they are. All of that was taken by slavery. Families. Families. So let's talk a little bit about slavery. Prior to Juneteenth, slavery was America's first big business. In this country, we don't talk about this enough, but this country was built by the hands and on the backs of enslaved people for free. Let me say that again. This country was built by the hands and on the backs of enslaved people for free. This not only benefited the South, but the whole nation as the wealth generated from generations of free labor cycled through every industry. In 1867, a group of freedmen in Virginia observed, our wives, our children, our husbands have been sold over and over again to purchase the lands we now locate upon. And then, didn't we clear the land and raise the crops of corn, of tobacco, of rice, of sugar, of everything? And then, didn't the large cities in the north grow up on the cotton and the sugars and the rice that we made? They understood that slavery was woven into every fabric of the American economy and the American society. They didn't take that lightly. During Reconstruction, the period after slavery, formerly enslaved people had many freedoms that were not available to them before. They could buy property, marry, make contracts. Black men could vote and even hold public office. However, in Reconstruction, and subsequently in Redemption, policies limited black labor, income, voting, and other important activities that effectively kept black Americans in indentured servitude and kept the money in the hands of white people and largely in the hands of white landowners. After slavery, black Americans fought for economic autonomy, but white landowners enacted black codes to keep black Americans from thriving. So Mississippi and South Carolina were the first states to do this. They did this in the same year that uh, Juneteenth took place, so 1865. And just to give you an example of what some of these codes looked like, is in Mississippi, black people had to provide evidence of employment for the coming year each January. So if they weren't able to provide employment or proof of employment for the coming year, their wages, whatever wages they had left, would be taken, and then they would be placed into prisons. So they'd be arrested and sentenced to hard labor. So essentially, 
enslaving them again. In South Carolina, people were only able to hold two job titles. So you could either be a farmer, this is black people, you could either be a farmer or you could be a servant. And unless you paid an annual tax between $10 and $100 at the time, which today is about $165 to $1,651, unless you paid that amount every year, those are the only jobs that you could hold. So essentially, the same jobs that you would have had in slavery. Reconstruction gave way to redemption, which was the period just following that, and was a constructed effort by those in power to prevent black citizenship and equality promised by the 14th and 15th Amendments. By the early 1900s, black codes had spread across the country, and almost every southern state had blocked black citizens from voting, from participating in public office, on juries, and in the administration of the justice system. So black codes were the beginning of Jim Crow, and they spread across the country, and that went on for a good hundred years, a hundred years of this. And uh, this is also the time of the rise of the Klan, rise of violence against black people. There's a lot going on during this period, and it went on until the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. During the civil rights movement, freedom fighters were pushing back on racial discrimination and violence that black people were experiencing in America. And a pivotal moment was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963. This was a demonstration of 200 to 300,000 people, highlighting the goals of the Emancipation Proclamation and the subsequent amendments to the Constitution that was supposed to restore rights, equality, and dignity to black Americans had failed. This demonstration was a successful attempt at putting pressure on JFK's administration to enact a strong federal civil rights bill and was also the birthplace of the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream speech. Now, one thing that I love about that speech, which if you don't know, he didn't mean to, to give that speech that day. He was, you know, partway through speaking. He took the last slot because no one wanted it. They thought the, the news cameras were going to be going home. So no one wanted it. So he took that last spot. It was only four minutes. He started speaking. And then he took a pause. And Mahalia Jackson stands up in the crowd and she's like, Martin, tell him about the dream. So then the whole thing changes and he gives his dream speech, which was not prepared. He only had four minutes and he ended up speaking for 16 minutes. So much passion, so much wisdom came out through that speech and I just I just love that story. So at this time in terms of jobs there were high levels of black unemployment and for those that did have jobs the work was menial, the wages were minimal, and there was little advancement on mobility. So in all of this time black people had still been held back. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 was what came out of that. The pressure was was effective on the JFK administration. And even though he passed away um, soon after, that was signed into law. And it prohibits the, dis- 
the discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. And it forbade discrimination on that basis for hiring and promoting and firing. So why is any of this important? How does this relate to our career in 2021? A lot of people would look at this and say, well, that's history. What does that have to do with now? The reality is we need to look at the big picture because the first slave ships arrived in the U.S. in 1619 and then slavery didn't end until 1865 and after that Jim Crow went on for another hundred years. So the playing field has really only been open for black people in the U.S. for the last 53 years. I don't know about you, but that is my parents' generation. My parents were children when that happened. That's only two generations to generate the lives that we've been denied for over 400 years. So that means over that period of time, we've been denied the opportunity to build, been denied the opportunity to generate wealth, been denied the opportunity to thrive. Really just been surviving this whole time because that's what was required. That was what was available, survival. And now we're in a place where we can define our lives, our careers, our the way that that we live for ourselves. So this is a this is a, a new day. This is a new time. And it's not to say that all of the obstacles are behind us, because many of them are still in place. And this is why we have this podcast. This is why we talk about the things that we do, because we want to give you all of the tools and and host the conversations that will allow you to navigate your career in ways that maybe you couldn't before. Now, I keep seeing this meme, um, and I don't know the origin, but it's an interesting concept. So someone will ask, what is your dream job? And then the, the response will be, darling, I've told you several times before that I do not dream, do not have a dream job. I do not dream of labor. And I agree. I agree that we should not dream of labor for the sake of labor, especially black people, because so much of our history as black people in this country is defined by forced labor, forced labor in slavery and indentured servitude, and then fighting for freedoms that really are our birthright, of everyone's birthright, the the right not to be enslaved, the right not to be discriminated against. Um, but career in this society is a key element to help us to thrive, and there are some very important things that we get out of the right career, not just any career, not just any job. So realistically, the first thing is the cost of living. A capitalist society where there is a high cost of living requires us to work, most of us. But beyond just working, it helps us to provide or to begin to bridge that wealth gap, that 500-year-old wealth gap. So I'll give you some statistics. In 2016, the average white family had a net worth of $171,000. That's nearly 10 times greater than the average black family at $17,150. I just want you to think for a second how 
you would survive on $17,150? Because I, I don't know. I don't know how it's possible. I want you to think about that 10 times. 10 times is what a white family would have versus a black family. And I want you to really hear that word family. I'm not talking about $17,150 for a person. I'm talking about for a family. Family of three, family of four. How would you survive on that? So for most people, a salary is going to be the most accessible form of income, the most accessible way to start to build that wealth. Now, by no means can you build generational wealth from a salary, but it's an important starting point because it can give you the money to generate the other streams of income. Now, I recognize that there are people that are living paycheck to paycheck and they don't necessarily have the opportunity to invest money or buy inventory to sell products or anything like that, but it is the easiest barrier to entry in terms of generating wealth. Then there's another element, this finding purpose and passion. Now for some, work is a necessary evil, and those are probably the people that would say they don't dream of labor, but for others, this allows them to spend dedicated time working on and monetizing their passion and or their purpose. So if you think about the term vocation, for example, a vocation is a job, but it is really a, an occupation to which a person is especially drawn. So they're either very well suited for it, they're well, well trained for it, or they're really qualified or skilled in it. When your work ties into your passion or purpose, going to work boosts your self-esteem and your sense of self. You can really come into your fullness. And that is something that we as black people have not had a lot of um, freedom to do. We just haven't. In those two generations, that's not enough time for enough of us to feel that sense of passion and purpose at work that pours into us, that fills us up. Historically, we have been devalued, demoralized, disenfranchised for generations simply for the provision of free labor for the majority population. Being able to take charge of our careers and take pride in our work is revolutionary. We are our ancestors' wildest dream, and what we do now sets the stage for our descendants. So imagine, right, slavery, Jim Crow, 400 years of suffering under oppression. What can we do in the next 400 years? Where would our descendants be in the next 400 years? This control of our lives, of our careers, of everything that we can be and want to be. This is what we've been fighting for since before the March on Washington, since before Juneteenth in 1865, since before the first ship left West Africa. This is one of the ways that we reclaim our birthright. 
our freedom. Because freedom is our birthright. Now there are other benefits to career that we'll get into in future episodes where we dive into our career framework. So definitely be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, whether you are jubilantly celebrating Juneteenth or this is a solemn day for you, take the time to reflect on where we've been, how far we've come, and where we're going as black people, and where you want to go individually. How do you want to thrive? Think about how you want to thrive, personally and as a professional in corporate America. Have a wonderful day, everyone. I'm off to enjoy my Juneteenth strawberry soda. But you know where to find us, corporateforthculture.com, on Instagram, at corporateforthculture, on Twitter, at corp, the number four, the culture. And then finally on LinkedIn, slash corporateforthculture. Have a great day, everyone. Goodbye.